not your normal paranormal. Normal is an illusion. What is normal for the spider is chaos for the fly. Come with us on a journey where the cold creeps up on you, where the shadows are larger than life, where you'll lose your courage and possibly your mind. And you like it like that. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Not Your Normal Paranormal Podcast. Please note that while we cover our topics in a lighthearted way, our podcast contains graphic and explicit content throughout. Listener discretion is always advised. Whenever you tell me I'm pretty, that's when the hunger really hits me. Your little heart goes pitter-patter. I want your liver on a platter. Use your finger to stir my tea. And for dessert, I'll suck your teeth. Be too sweet and you'll be a goner. Yeah, I'll pull a Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> We're gonna need a bigger boat. <laughs> hey everyone, welcome back to Not Your Normal Paranormal. I'm Kat. I'm Robin. I'm Kylie. And we're a family. <laughs> Hope everybody's doing good out there, as well as can be expected. We picked a not super fun topic this week. It is super fun. It, I did not find it super fun. I found it very dark and very disturbing. I mean, yeah, but it was still fun. I, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Everybody, if you're listening and you comment on any of our social platforms, every time you see Kylie's name, just say maggots. Don't. <laughs> because it was super fun. And just so you know what the topic <clears throat> is, our topic is cannibals. <laughs> from, from everywhere right now we're both america she's Michael's the only one scotland it's kind of everywhere <laughs> okay kylie is going to i'm going to pull a tarot card we're using the antique anatomy tarot or because th- it's aesthetically pleasing to the topic or as kat likes to say the atomic anatomy i didn't say <laughs> yes, she did. no i didn't yes, she did i did okay. not she's gonna listen back to the intro later and she's gonna go oh no she's right I'm going to listen back and say, oh yeah, I'm right. Then send me the clip. Because I won't believe you. (laughs) I did not say atomic. I'm pretty sure I probably said automatic. Ooh, two. Two cards for us. It was like, please shut up, you guys. (laughs) So we've got... Oh, I love the pictures. um, Night of the Lades, which is gorgeous. I love these cards because, I mean, flowers, bones, knives... Elixirs. It, it kind of, it, it, it flows with the topic. Um, I thought she was going to say complete her. <laughs> I was like, I'm prepared for it. I'm prepared to hear So it. we've got the Knight of Blades for the first card. And the Knight of Blades indicates rapid change in your life. It's the Seize the Day card. And I think we had this the last time we did this. We had this card the last time we did this, I think. We did? I think so. Because it's a seize the day card. Um, mm-hmm. You can accomplish anything with this energy as long as you keep a clear mind. But this is probably coming across because, you know, I did not prioritize my week the way that I should have. And then we've got the page of elixirs. It's not all about you, Kylie. And um, the page of elixirs <gasps> asks you to take a moment to listen to others and really try to understand their point of view. So basically it's telling us to shut up and fucking listen to each other, talk and interact with each other. Some of us do. Some of us 
it's hard to interact with somebody who doesn't give us she says I do too much research and then they don't have any questions because I already answered them all that's true or false fans let us know <laughs> hey let's don't fight over the bottle can I have this oh my god I'll spill it on you <laughs> nobody's gonna get it she don't even like it you don't even like it bitch she said she didn't even like the way it tastes I wouldn't have given it to her I would have downed it it's like, um, it's like when you have cough syrup so much that it starts to taste sweet, but still bad. <laughs> you don't get no more. And you were about to kill your sister over the last drop. Oh, I should, we should take pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Is you make my heart go pitter patter. I mean, you guys can discuss these cards. It goes like that. <laughs> They're pretty. I love this deck. Oh, I've been forgetting to drop our cards with the episodes. You haven't put them up there? I was going to say we could just go back and look to see when we had this one because I've been sending you pictures. I know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we used this deck for um, the last recording. Y'all don't drink in podcasts. Oh, wait, this was not our last. Look at look at that. <laughs> We had this one and oh. Is it blurry or what? No. It's the filter. Filter is everything. So this one was <clears throat> our haunted episode card. The haunted hotels or Yes, and then these three were our um We originally started writing them out, but I think we said fuck it and didn't. Oh, cool. No, this was our haunted car. What did we? What did we record last week? Haunted hotels. Killer kids. Killer kids. The, okay, She's this right. was our killer kid card. Because this was our haunted <clears throat> card. No, we did that last week. Yeah. <laughs> They're dated. Those pictures are dated. <laughs> yes, they are. This one's dated the nineteenth, and the other one's dated the twelfth. So we did that one last week. Shut up. I cannot. I cannot mind. <laughs> okay, people. So we're covering cannibals this week. Um, I think we all chose some pretty interesting ones. I'm excited to hear about Robins because I've seen the movie that was kind of loosely based on it, but I have not. Are you going to send these so that I have them? Read the, um, any of the story, any of the there. origins. <laughs> and I am bringing you uh, my cannibals from 16th century Scotland. And are you, you're getting a started rate? Yes. That would be a super beautiful, aesthetically pleasing picture. There. The only thing <clears throat> I ate today, what did I eat? Nothing. No, I had Doritos. Okay. I had Cheetos. <laughs> if you're hungry, we can have, um, <laughs> get your phone out of the way. <laughs> They're skinny. Go that way a little bit more. I'm taking it first. I don't care what you say. Well, oh, I want that one. I'll beat you up. 
Whenever you tell me I'm pretty, that's I got news for you. Really hits me. Your little heart goes Somebody would have to. I want your liver on a platter. You <sighs> should make stir my tea. Have to take me out first. Be too sweet and you'll be a goner. Yeah, I'll pull a Jeffrey Dahmer. Now she's gonna sing it the whole episode. And I cannot help it. Wait a minute. Please hurry up. I do not want to drop this. Please don't drop that. It's getting heavy. <clears throat> it's expensive. I know. Okay, it's not that expensive, but when you're poor, it's expensive. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> now it's up to you to edit. Or Kylie. Or whoever. <laughs> or me. I like the first one I sent. It's got a dark filter. Ooh. Oh, aesthetically pleasing. Did, did you like the dark one? No, I said ooh for shits and giggles. Well, I didn't know which one. <laughs> <clears throat> Shit. I want to know what the birthday of your dude is before we start recording. What the what? <laughs> the birthday. I've been hoping you'd ask that. I want to know what his zodiac sign was. Alright, are you ready for it? Yeah, I'm going to write it down. I found, I found Dahmer's exact time and location of birth. I am so ready to map out his birth chart. You have no idea. I have his too. I don't know what hospital, though. That matters, right? It, no, it's just, like, the physical city. Okay. He was born May the 19th. <gasps> uh-huh. 1870. What did I have? I had a, a time. I don't remember the time, but it was from Washington, D.C. I'll look it up. I'll look up the time. <coughs> Cut that out. He's a Taurus. And guess what? Dahmer was born close enough that he is a cusp of Taurus and Gemini. He's gotten both traits, which is why he could go back and forth so <coughs> easily. <coughs> I'm such... I'm so into it. I was getting ready to take a picture. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Kylie, hold up the thing. Oh. <coughs> Kylie can't hold it up. She's weak. In my defense, this arm hurts from carrying all that shit yesterday. I was just carrying on, Kylie. You're not weak. You can have it back now. Thank you. I'm still trying to figure out how I slept that I have my red marks for my hand here. Because I promise I don't sleep like that. You can have it back now. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to kick off the episode with um, the... We could have brought out my skull candle because they're about to hit Walmart shelves again. Oh, yeah? I took mine back. To Walmart? Yeah, I wanted money. I bought that for you. <laughs> no, you didn't. No, yes. no I, I bought, bought those. I, I, I bought no, those. No, I bought it. Nope, I, I bought, bought mine. No, you didn't. Yeah. Oh, my God. No, I bought mine. I, I had the receipt. I, you didn't buy it. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. <laughs> Ooh, cat. Right? I spit on my thing. <laughs> Don't spit on your phone. That's nasty. I could even think of what it was. I'm just gonna post like That's five nasty. pictures of these cards. Um, <clears throat> so, okay, you guys can start. I don't know what it says. <clears throat> Anti-disestablishmentarianism. 
Okay, so I'm going to kick the episode off with um, a cannibal family from the 16th century Scotland. Family. A whole <laughs> family of cannibals, y'all. Estimated at around 48 people all together from start to finish. By the end. <laughs> so we're they, unless they ate each other. We don't know. So today I'm going to talk about the Sawney Bean clan. Sawney Bean. Sawney like Bean. His, his name was Alexander Bean. Why somehow, they call him Sawney? Somehow it, he became Sawney. I don't know. Maybe I mean, they couldn't say Sonny. Sawney. There are families that give each other nicknames and they want to call each other <clears throat> nicknames. I was... That's true. My my kids come from one of those families. They don't call anybody by their actual name. They just use nicknames and that's it. Oh, no. There's a lot of people, too, who just use middle names. So my, my first little paragraph... Well, growing up, I wasn't a Samantha or a Sam. Now, I think I might have been. If I had a been, maybe I'd be different. I mean, looking at it now, I I mean, I, I'm I'm 31 years old. It's a little too old for a name change. No, no it's not. Really. I, I can't you go. You know when people started calling me Kat? Yeah, but you know, there are people who still call me Samantha or Sam, and I just ignore them because it's not something that I am. <laughs> She's not a Sam, y'all. She's a Robin. Had I been, maybe I'd be different than I am now, but I don't know. Good. I don't know. Anyway. I don't know. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> that, triggered, that triggered a TikTok. <laughs> My first little paragraph comes from Atlas, atlasobscura.com. I think it's a dot com. I love, let me, I'm sorry, Robin, I keep interrupting you, but I just want to say I love how Robin always references where she got her shit from because Kylie and I don't. We're just like, we found it on the internet. Go look. <laughs> Well, I mean, I try to remember. Sometimes I'm just like, I don't care. But the first little part comes from Atlas Obscura. It says, The story of Sawney Bean and his family of cannibals and murderers has been told to spook, chil- to spook Scotland's children for hundreds of years. But many believe that the story is more than just a myth. I'm terrified that cannibals came before murderers. They were eating people before they killed them. <laughs> they, were, they were stripping that flesh off while people were still alive. So, the rest of my notes... I've heard it adds juices. I don't know if that's true. The rest of my notes come from historicuk.com. Little is known for certain about his early life. However, Sonny Bean is believed to have been born in East Lithian... Yeah, East Lithian. Right? Yes. In the late 15th century, in a tanner by trade. The latter part of his life... (gasps) Oh, that makes sense. He's a tanner by trade. He's skinning people left and right. But he's not doing anything with it. Well, yes, he is. <laughs> I mean, just not, just not for money. Yeah. <laughs> um, the latter part of his life is a little better documented, following his relocation across country to Air- Ayrshire and his marriage. The newly wed Mr. and Mrs. Sonny Bean set up home at Benin, Benin, B-E-N-N-A-N-E. That would go B-E-N-N, Benin. Benin, yeah, so Benno. I'm cut out that little part right there. Um, <laughs> the newly wed Mr. and Mrs. Sonny Bean set up home at Benin Cave by Beltray in Ayrshire, Scotland. Benin Cave was... Rather, an imposing abode with tunnels penetrating the, penetrating the solid rock and extending for more than a mile in length. 
And um, I believe I mentioned later on, but this was like on the coast. <clears throat> like you, there were certain times of the day when you could not access the entrance to the cave. And because of the rising tide. Yes. Yeah. In addition, no, go ahead. Bless you. In addition, the accommodation featured lots of side passages where the young couple could extend into and convert over the next 25 years to accommodate a growing family. So they're living in a cave? Yes. Okay. The cave's entrance was flooded for several hundred meters twice a day at high tide. A nice drought exclusion feature. <coughs> I really shouldn't have drank so much. Sorry. That sounds like your problem. <laughs> Lacking a trade, it was Sonny's plan to support his new wife on the proceeds of robbery. It provided a simple enough matter to ambush travelers on the lonely narrow roads that connected the villages of the area. Then it dawned on him that in order to help make sure that he could never be identified for his crimes, he should murder his victims. Or, or blindfold them. Or wear a mask. Like we all have to. I mean. <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> what part of chill did you miss, Humphrey? I'm gonna leave that in. Speed it. Oh my god, cut that. He comes in and he goes, literally cut that and use it as a sound clip. <laughs> and then cut that end, like at the beginning or at the end. with your burp. Let him I'm come hungry. in and go, I'm hungry, go into me singing. <laughs> no, no, you go into I'm hungry, me singing, and then end it with you burping. So we're we're going to cut that part, and Robin's going to put it in the beginning. <laughs> and then we'll have me doing the cannibal song, and then Robin can end the whole episode with her burp. There you go. <laughs> okay, so I said he should murder his victims, right? Yes. Did you say that, or did he say that, and you're just... Telling us. No, she said, because I said. I know she said that. Okay. I'm just saying. Well, then stop giving her shit. This is going to be hard to edit. <sighs> Read that part again. Then it dawned on him that in order to help make sure that he never, that he could never be identified for his crimes, he should murder his victims. I mean, makes sense. To avoid those unnecessary visits to the shops for provisions whilst at the same time disposing of any evidence, he came on the bright idea of butchering the bodies to provide a high-protein diet of human meat for himself and his wife. So, I mean, they... Oh, he's just a thinker, this guy. Once they moved to this cave and he started the murdering, robbing... That was it. They, they didn't go to town. Nobody knew of them. People just knew that they shouldn't travel through this part of the countryside. Oh my gosh. I would love to know if there was some kind of urban legend about being around the cliffs at that place in Scotland. That would be fun to know. Um, I'm betting there was. The high protein diet seemed to have been effective as Mrs. Bean began to produce little bean, little baby beans. <laughs> I forgot our just wait until we get to me because the, some of the shit that I wrote out is exactly my thought process of reading it. Okay. 14 little beanie babies in total. <laughs> beanie babies. Teeny beanies. Trademark tie. 14 little beanie babies in total, each with a very unhealthy appetite for human flesh. Oh my god, little monsters. 
as the Beanie Babies grew up. Are you calling them the Beanie Babies the whole time? No. Oh my god. As the Beanie Babies grew up and in turn, through incest, produced Beanie Babies of their own. Oh my Their gosh. cooking pots increased in size dramatically. Over two decades, generations of Beanie Babies grew up in Benning Cave. I'm sorry, I just made it Okay, me. I I just have to ask a question here. <clears throat> so, in order to keep our family fed, we're we're going out and robbing people. Could we not steal people like to kidnap and have sex with to procreate, so that we're not? I mean, we're already murderers and cannibals. I'm sorry, people. I I know I just went out on a rapist thing there, but they're gonna die anyway. At least they wouldn't be incest as babies. Generations of beanie babies grew up in Banning Cave. <clears throat> Refining their skills of murder and cannibal cuisine, including the now lost art of salting and pickling the flesh. Okay, that's not a lost thing Yum. for animals that we eat. But <laughs> typically, typically, even in Scotland, way back then, that wasn't a thing <laughs> for humans. Finds of curiously preserved but decaying body parts were discovered washed up on the surrounding beaches in the area. I'm telling you, people were freaked out of their mind. Like, you would think they would go, oh, we need to investigate. And all them people were like, fuck this noise. We do not want to be around here. Sharks. <laughs> Sharks got the blame even back then. The local authorities had by now established what must have been and what must still be to this date the longest missing person list ever produced. Although mass searches of the area... I'm sorry, I may sound a little out of it. I was drinking. (laughs) She's got a slur. She's got a slur. Although mass searches of the area were carried out in order to locate either the missing people or their murderers, nobody ever thought to search the depths depths of Banning Caves. (laughs) As the years went by, the family grew older and... (laughs) Okay. They grew older and... As the years went by, the family grew older and thanks to their high-protein, bigger... Now, the incest didn't stunt that at all? It's like, I, oh, you can eat people and do all the incest, and it's not going to affect how people grow. We're going to be tall, man. And as the family grew, so did their appetite. As many as half a dozen victims would be ambushed and killed at a time in military-style operations by the Sawney Bean Army. So, ooh, they're an army now. <laughs> the Beanie Babies have grown up. <laughs> The bodies were taken back to the cave to be carefully prepared for the larder by the women folk. So, oh, they didn't... Okay, that's why there was incest, because the men were in charge. Gotcha. Even in the best planned operations, however, things sometimes go wrong. It happened one evening for the Sawney Bean Army when they attacked a man and his wife as they were returning home from a nearby fair. One group pulled the woman... Pulled It says women... But it just said it was a man and a woman. So, I don't know. Pulled the woman from her horse and had her stripped and disemboweled before the other group had a chance to wrestle the man to the ground. Realizing the fate that was about to fall him, he fought desperately to escape, driving his horse into and over his attackers. As he fought for his life, a group of 20 or so people also returning from the fair happened upon the scene. After a brief and violent 
exchange. <laughs> the Sawney Bean Army found itself, for the first time ever, at a numerical disadvantage and promptly retreated back to the cave to consider this situation. As they retreated, they left behind the mutilated body of a woman as evidence, a score of witnesses, and a very angry husband. Oh, they were man and wife. Okay. Yeah. Well, I figured man it and woman. It was the man and the woman, and then a group of 20 or so coming back from the fair no. happened upon them. I know. <laughs> Kids, you gotta love them. Welcome to quarantine. <laughs> Don't you said welcome to quarantine. <laughs> Oh my god, Robin. You better oh. edit that. <laughs> <laughs> the man was taken before the magistrate of Glasgow. Who, after hearing the tale and putting this together with his longest missing person list ever and the many reports of the mysterious pickled body parts, decided to take the matter straight to the top. King James I promptly arrived in Ayrshire with a small army of 400 men and a pack of tracker dogs. All right. And together with a band of local volunteers launched one of the biggest manhunts the country had ever seen. Like before, <clears throat> the search extended through the Ayrshire countryside and coastline. And like before, nothing was discovered. Wait, they, they brought tracker dogs. Those are awful dogs. Um, there was so much scent that they would contract. No. That was, however, until the dogs picked okay. up the scent of decaying human flesh <laughs> whilst passing a partly waterlogged cave. You left me hanging. The man put... <laughs> Robin can't <laughs> The man put... The man did what? The manhunt was closing in. Okay. By torchlight, the troops entered Benning Cave and with swords drawn... They proceeded down the mi the mile long. Did they have pitchforks? <laughs> they proceeded down the mile long passage to the inner depths of the Sawney oh, Bean family shit. lair. Nothing could have prepared them for the sight they witnessed that day. They, they haven't been paying attention. <laughs> Nothing could have prepared them. The damp walls of the cave were strewn with row upon row of human limbs and body parts, like meat hanging in a butcher's shop. Other areas of the cave stored bundles of clothing, piles of watches and rings, and heaps of discarded bones from previous feats. After a brief fight... Oh. After a brief fight, the entire Sawney Bean family, all 48 of them, were arrested and marched off to Edinburgh by the king himself. Their crimes were considered so heinous that the normal justice system, for which Scotland is so renowned, was abandoned and the entire family sentenced to death. The following day, wow. the 27 men of the family met a, similar, met a fate similar to that of many of their victims by having their legs and arms cut off and being left to slowly bleed. Wait. So, I just had, like, a, a total, um, yeah, you got another page, but, um, a total, um, thing in the Scottish Hills. <laughs> Did Law and Order. Went on perfect with that. I would have wrote that. It would have summarized it and been funny. <laughs> the Law and Order theme song. <clears throat> Not the SVU. song, but the theme oh. intro. Left to slowly bleed to death. Watched by their women. The 21 women were burned like witches in huge fires. And that is all I have. 
Literally, I'm looking at her page going, I wonder what happened to the kids or whatnot. Nope. The women were burned. The end. Well, I mean, they probably were like, okay, girls and boys. Boys, men, girls, women. What? Huh? To my oh. understanding. Oh, they killed all of the, all of the things. They, okay. It says Depending the entire how family. Size, how, what? Hmm. Not what size. Depending on how old the children were. <laughs> I don't think it would be appropriate to kill them. Because they... But that's all they've ever known. Depending on how old they are. Also incest. Uh, also, people who are produced out of incest deserve to die. I gotcha. <laughs> I okay. mean... Enough but that's said, all they know. Just, no, enough said. Okay. I wish no. there was more. You're like three or four generations in. In this story. I closed this and sealed it. And I'm going to need it. <laughs> so that's fun. Okay. Thank you, Robin, for the... Okay. Also at the lead-in. <laughs> thank you for the okay. No, uh, I was going to say thank you for the story, but I I wanted to do a little add-on because at the beginning I told you that I've seen the movie that this was partially based on. She didn't mention any of the movies at all. Go. Um, the Hills Have Eyes is the only one I know. Oh. I thought it's you the said like, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre parts of it were. No. Okay. Okay, so The Hills Have Eyes. That was the movie I was referring to. Okay. And I know in an episode of The X-Files, they kind of delved into an incestuous cannibal family. Yes. That was eerily like the mm -hmm. Texas Chainsaw yeah. Massacre. Back, that was back when The X-Files was good. Yeah. Also, I feel like we're having a very schizophrenic recording today. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> we're going to... We're just going to power through people. Hang in there with us. If this is a drinking game ever where people drink every time we mess up, please don't. So are we. You're going to be too drunk to do anything. To move. To think. To breathe. Alright, so um, I'm going to go next. This is Kat. And I'm going the to talk about staring at me. Albert Fish. The Gray Man. Um, I'm going to start by saying he had a lot of nicknames. I don't know if it was, like, just because people didn't get their stuff together or what, but he was known as the Gray Man. He was also known as the Moon Maniac, which I, being me, looked to see why he was called the Moon Maniac. They just wanted to call him the Moon Maniac. There was nothing. Like, he didn't kill people by the light of the moon or... Um, the Werewolf of Wisteria. Don't know where the werewolf came from. He did not change into... Any alternate forms? The Brooklyn Vampire. Which, also weird. Although fair. I could get this one. I could, I could get behind it. And uh, the Boogeyman. Now, to be fair, the Boogeyman was by a young kid. But still. Okay. So, when um, we decided to do cannibals, Robin was the only one who really had a topic. Well, no. Robin and Kylie had a topic. I had to find mine. And after I found mine and started reading about it, I really wished I hadn't. But I guess no cannibal story is going to be good, so let's go. So Albert Fish was born Hamilton Howard Fish on May the 19th, 1870 in Washington, D.C. His um, mother was 32 at the time and his father was 75. 43-year age Holy difference. Holy shit. Yeah. I don't know why that was important, but I guess they just wanted to record all of the information they could. He had three living siblings at the time, all older than him. He was the baby, and I guess they had lost a few 
doesn't say how many before prior to him being born. Also, this wasn't necessarily at this part of the story and all the stuff that I read, but I wanted to put it in here at the beginning because there was a history of mental illness in his family. And that included an uncle who was diagnosed with mania, which is maybe where maniac came from. Still don't get the moon. His sister had mental afflictions and one of his brothers was confined to a mental hospital. Um, his mother also had oral and or visual hallucinations. And I guess the reason why it says um, and or is because all of this information came from Albert Fish. All of it. Hmm. <clears throat> okay. So, he was born in Washington. I said that, right? Yes. Okay. When um, Albert was five years old, his father, then 80 years old, died of a heart attack on Washington 6th Street Station. And he was buried a couple of days later at a local cemetery, which only important, I guess, because they wanted to mention his age again, but also um, right following the burial of the elder Mr. Fish, um, Albert's mother took him to an orphanage and dropped him off. Wow. Well, <clears throat> my understanding from, from other reading is that, especially back then, the father's a breadwinner. Like, it was a man's world. The men were making yeah. the money. Dad dies. You ain't got somebody lined up to marry who's got the bucks. You've got to find a way to fend for yourself. So I'm assuming, it only mentions him, but I'm assuming all of her children were displaced while she tried to get herself together. Well, I mean, if his father was older, then maybe those previous three children were from previous. Because she was only 32, right? Isn't that what you That's said? That's fair, yeah. So, I, I, I would think that those older three were from a previous... It doesn't. It, it, never, it never mentions that his father was ever married before. Hmm. Maybe he just had to know. wait to find I mean, somebody but you said they were older. If they were older... I meant older than him. Well, yeah, but... At 32... Older? Let's see. He was born in 1870. At 32, they could have been 14. They got married real young back then. Mm -hmm. Well, the <laughs> women did, anyway. Apparently not the men. Okay, anyway, um, he was sent to St. John's Orphanage um, in Washington, and he was there for around five years. And um, it was here he stated, quote, I got started wrong. According to Fish, he was frequently beaten, um, unmercifully whipped, is how he put it. It was also there, he said, that he began to associate pleasure with pain. He would get an erection while he was getting be beaten, and then um, I guess if you got beaten, everybody was allowed to just stand around and watch, and so people would laugh and tease him, and he was bullied, and apparently there they also started calling him, and I'm assuming it's because of his name, because his name was Hamilton. This was before he was known as Albert. They started calling him Ham and Eggs, which he hated. Um, and... Yeah, beatings and, and molestation and rape, I guess, happened there to all the boys. And I guess his was a boys' home, so it wasn't like girls and boys. It was just boys. By um, 1880, Fish's mother had found herself a government job and was able to retrieve her son. But by then, he said it was too late. This is, this is Fish talking. By then, it was too late. He had already had 
things. <laughs> he already had things mentally, you know, in his head. So in 1882, at age 12, he began a relationship with a telegraph boy. And this is where he was introduced, and they gave them words. I'm just giving you the meaning. He was introduced to uh, the practice of drinking urine and eating feces. He also began to go to public bathhouses, which were apparently a thing back then. On weekends, he would spend his weekends at the bathhouses watching boys undress. Um, it was also during this time that he started to write obscene letters to women, random women, that he found their names from classified ads and from matrimonial advertising. So apparently back then, you could just like put an ad in the paper and be like, hey, let's get married. I'm available. Which would explain a lot about his mom and dad. <laughs> anyway, um, and he would, throughout his life and all of the other things that he did, he continued to write the obscene letters to strange and random women that he did not know. So by 1890, Fish had moved to New York City, and it was there he became a prostitute, and he also, in his own words, began raping young boys. And by young boys, we mean um, under five. Um, in 1898, his mother, apparently, and I'm ad-libbing this, but she was apparently fed up with him, and she arranged a marriage for him to a woman nine years his junior. Her name was Anna Mae Hoffman. They were married for a total of 19 years, and they had six children together. But during the time that he was married, he was continuing to molest, molest children. He was still, you know, having what he called male lovers on the side. Um, he was also practicing um, self-torture. Like, he got out of the orphanage and the beating stopped, so he started beating himself. He had made his own, like, board with nails in it and things like that, and he would stick things, especially pins, in his body. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was ongoing. One of his lovers during this time took him to a waxworks museum. Those are always fun. Where he saw um, bisected penis. And it was there he became fascinated or obsessed, I guess, with um, sexual mutilation. And when he also started adding pins and stuff to his pelvic area and his penis specifically. Yeah, I have on the, a note on the back side that says 29 needles in his pelvic region because, um, well, the next thing I have is in 1903, he was arrested for grand larceny and was convicted and sentenced to Sing Sing. It doesn't tell how long he was there. Um, it does say he said that he continued having sex with men while he was in prison. Um, he was also in and out of uh, mental hospitals a couple of times. And uh, he told one of the doctors there about his fascination with needles. And they did an x-ray of him. And this x-ray is online. You can go see the picture if you want to. There were 29 needles in his pelvic area. Just stuck. Just going through the day. Um, Fish committed what may have been his first attack on a child named Thomas. Looks like Bedden. In 19... I can't read my writing, people. <laughs> In 1910, in Wilmington, Delaware, 
It uh, doesn't say what he did. I'm assuming he was attacked and raped. I don't know that he was killed. Um, then later he stabbed a mentally challenged man around 1919 in the Georgetown area of Washington, D.C. Um, Fish himself said that he targeted mentally challenged or African Americans because he felt like um, they wouldn't be missed or you know nobody would seek justice for them so in January 1917 his wife left him for a handyman that had been boarding with them so had been living in the house and he says this rejection of him um, caused him to start having hallucinations um, he was hearing voices and he literally wrapped himself in a carpet and wouldn't like I guess laid down on the floor and rolled himself up in a big old rug and said that the voices told him to do it or it would stop the voices. Um, I also want to mention here that when his wife left him, she left and didn't take any of the kids. Took the man and she was like, peace out. You stay with your dad. So there's that. Um, I do want to go, I, I want to say right here that According to Fish, and I guess the people who talked to his children, he never sexually molested his children in any way, but he did have them participate in paddling him or hitting him with a belt or watching him paddle himself. So, Which, for what it does for him, is pretty much the same thing. Same thing, right? Okay, on July 11th, 1924, um, Fish found 8-year-old Beatrice Kill. It's K-I-E-L, kill. She was playing alone at her parents' Staten Island farm. He offered her money to come help him look for rhubarb in the neighboring fields. She was about to leave with him. They were all set to go when her mom came running out and scared fish away. But apparently he circled back and got into the barn. He was going to spend the night, but this time dad found him and he ran off and never went back. which I think Dad should have came out from the beginning. All right, now is where it gets a little more detailed and a lot more dark. Um, because what he originally got, what he got arrested for was the um, abduction of Grace Budd. And I guess that's what he's most famous, most famous for. But what happened with Grace Bud was he saw an ad in the paper from a young man, 18, wishes position in country, Edward Bud, 406 West 15th Street. That was on May the 25th, 1928. So on May the 28th, Fish then 58 years old visited the Bud family in Manhattan under the pretense of hiring Edward he later confessed that he planned to tie Edward up mutilate him and leave him to bleed to death but when Fish arrived on the scene and saw how big Edward was because he's apparently at 18 he's a big strapping boy he was like um nope not going to be able to overpower him but during the time that he was there um, he met Edward's mom and dad and was talking to them. I think they invited him to stay for lunch because he told them his name was Frank Howard and he had a farm in upstate New York and he talked really big about 
having the farm and having the acreage and having the kids and all the work that Edward would be doing and the safe and sunshiny, you know, place in the farm where he would live. So they invited him to stay for lunch to talk more about it because they were excited for their son. And during lunch, um, apparently Grace came in. And when he saw her, he was like, Bit. That's the one. She was 10 years old at the time. And from all accounts, she was very lovely. There's a picture of her, which Kylie can um, post on the thing. She was a very, you know, happy, vivacious girl. Apparently, they didn't know strangers back then either because um, Fish left and said that, you know, he would send for the boys in a couple of days. And then he didn't show up, but he sent a note to Edward telling him, you know, that they were hired and he would be back to pick him up the next day. Um, well, when he came to pick him up, Edward was there. He had his friend Willie, who Willie also wanted a similar job. And Fish was like, sure, you know, I'll hire him too. Oh, but wait, first I have to go to my niece's birthday party. You know, it's right here in town. It's a few blocks over. Hey, I've got a great idea. What about if Grace goes with me? So the mom was like, um, I don't feel good about that. I don't necessarily want her to go. But the dad was like, you know, let her get out. Poor little Gracie never gets to go and do anything. <clears throat> so they let her leave with him for his niece's birthday party that he made up. And she was never seen again. Um, after he didn't return and Gracie didn't return, the buds called the cops and the cops came in to do an investigation. What's funny to me is they knew they let their daughter go with a strange man that they didn't know. But somehow the police arrested 66-year-old Superintendent Charles Edward Pope on September the 5th, 1930 as a suspect in Grace's disappearance because he was accused by his estranged wife. He spent 108 days in jail between his arrest and trial on December the 22nd, 1930, to be found not guilty because he didn't do it. Yeah. And it's like, what? I don't understand how stuff worked back then. Anyway. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> you can cut that. Because <laughs> I can't. Oh, I'm getting to the bad part. My throat's... <coughs> Season up. Okay, the way that he was caught was... In November 1934, an, anom an anonymous letter was sent to Grace's parents, which ultimately led the police to fish. Mrs. Budd was illiterate and could not read the letter herself, so she had her son, Edward, read it to her. The unadulterated letter complete with fishes and misspellings and grammatical errors, says, and it's online, you can find this, but I'm, I'm gonna read. It. Says, my dear Mrs. Bud, in 1894, a friend of mine shipped as a deckhand on the steamer Tacoma, Captain John Davis. They sailed from San Francisco to Hong Kong, China. I'm not gonna read all that because this is just, he's telling about a sailor who Sailing went to China. China. <laughs> yeah, and then was there that he, the, the sailor discovered that um, there was a famine in China and meat of any kind was from one to three dollars a pound which was a lot back then so people over there began eating other people 
and he was telling um, Albert about it and you know Albert was like hey that sounds great and it he tells in the letter that you know the man they would um, let's see on his return to New York this is the sailor he stole two boys one seven one eleven took them to his home stripped them naked tied them in a closet then burned everything they had on several times every day and night he spanked them tortured them to make their meat good and tender First, he killed the 11-year-old boy because he had the fattest ass and, of course, the most meat on it. Every part of his body was cooked and eaten except head, bones, and guts. He was roasted in the oven, all of his ass, boiled, broiled, fried, stewed. The little boy was next, went the same way. At that time, I was living at 409 East 100th Street, rear right side. He told me so often how good human flesh was, I made up my mind to taste it. On Sunday, July the 3rd, 1928, I called on you at 406 West 15th Street, brought you pot cheese, strawberries. We had lunch. Grace sat in my lap and kissed me. I made up my mind to eat her on the pretense of taking her to a party. You said yes, she could go. I took her to an empty house in Westchester I had already picked out. When we got there, I told her to remain outside. She picked wildflowers. I went upstairs and stripped all my clothes off. I knew if I did not, I would get her blood on them. When all was ready, I went to the window and called her. Then I hid in a closet until she was in her room, in the room. When she saw me all naked, she began to cry and tried to run downstairs. I grabbed her and she said she would tell her mama. First, I stripped her naked, how she did kick, bite, and scratch. I choked her to death, then cut her in small pieces so I could take my meat to my rooms, cook, and eat it. How sweet and tender her little ass was roasted in the oven. It took me nine days to eat her entire body. I did not fuck her, though. I couldn't, could have had I wished. She died a virgin. To her mother, people. Sent the letter to her mother. And her older brother had to read it. Out loud. God. Right? Police investigated the letter. The story concerning Captain Davis and the famine in Hong Kong could not be verified. The part of the letter concerning the murder of Grace, however, was found to be accurate in its description of the kidnapping and subsequent events, although it was impossible to confirm whether or not Fish had actually eaten parts of Grace's body. So they go through the whole thing because the letter was delivered in an envelope that had um, two emblems on it that... Uh, represented the New York Private Chauffeurs Benevolent Association. They tracked down the paper and the house because um, like an address was given. Um, a janitor had stolen the paper, but he had left it in his rooms, and the last person who had rent that room was not Frank Howard, but Albert Fish. So William F. King, he was a detective, was the chief investigator in the the place. He waited outside the room until Fish returned. Fish agreed to go to headquarters for questioning, but then brandished a razor blade. King disarmed Fish and took him to police headquarters. Fish made no attempt to deny the murder of Grace Bud, saying that he meant to go to the house to kill Grace's brother, Edward. Fish said it never even <clears throat> excuse me, it never even entered his head to rape the girl, but he later claimed that his to his attorney that while kneeling on Grace's chest and strangling her, he did have two involuntary ejaculations. This information was used at the trial to make the claim the kidnapping was sexually motivated, thus avoiding any mention of cannibalism. So why they, he's arrested, 
they have him in custody and all he wants to do is talk. All he wants to do is talk. So there were um, several other missing children that uh, they specifically asked him about. Um, one of them was Francis McDonald. He said, during the night of July the 14th, 1924, this isn't he said, this is the thing. During the night of July 14th, another date, 1924, nine-year-old Francis McDonald was reported missing by his parents. He failed he failed to return home after playing catch with friends in Port Richmond neighborhood of Staten Island. A search was organized and his body was found hanging by a tree in a wooded area near his home. He had been sexually assaulted, then strangled with his suspenders. According to an autopsy, McDonald had also suffered extensive lacerations to legs and abdomen, and his left hamstring had almost entirely been stripped of its off its flesh of its flesh. Uh, Fish refused to claim responsibility for this, although he later stated that he intended to castrate the boy, but fled when he heard someone approach the tree. So he said he didn't do it, but then admitted that, basically, that he was there. McDonald's friends told police that he was taken by an elderly man with a gray mustache. A neighbor also told the police he observed the boy with a similar-looking man walking along a grassy path, path golly, into the nearby woods. Francis's mother, Anna, said she saw the same man earlier that day. She told the reporters he came shuffling down the street, mumbling to himself and making queer motions with his hand. I saw his thick gray hair and his drooping gray mustache. Everything about him seemed faded and gray. And that's why he became known as the gray man. The McDonald murder remained unsolved until the murder, murder of Grace Budd when several eyewitnesses um among them, the Staten Island farmer Hans Kiel, that's the one he tried to abduct, his little daughter, positively identified Albert Fish as the odd stranger seen around Port Richmond on the day of McDonald's disappearance. Richmond County District Attorney Thomas J. Walsh announced his intention to seek an indictment against Fish for the boy's murder. At first, Fish denied the charges. It was only in March 1935, after the conclusion of his trial for the Bud murder and his confession to the killing of Bill Gaffney, Billy Gaffney, that Fish confirmed to investigators that he also raped and murdered McConnell. When the McConnell confession was made public, the New York, New York Daily Mirror wrote that the disclosure solidified Fish's reputation as the most vicious, I cannot talk, the most vicious child slayer in criminal history. So, Billy Gaffney um, was a four-year-old. This says three-year-old. He was four. On February 11, 1927, four-year-old, though three-year-old Billy Beaton and his 12-year-old brother were playing in the apartment hallway in Brooklyn with four-year-old Billy Gaffney. When the 12-year-old left for his apartment, both younger boys disappeared. Um, so the older boy ran back and told his mom, hey, these little boys are missing. Beaton was later found on the roof of the apartments, left alone, taken up there, three years old, left on the roof of the apartment. And they finally found him up there. When asked what happened to Gaffney, Beaton said the boogeyman took him. Gaffney's body was never recovered. Um, and apparently, initi initially, serial killer Peter Kuznowski was a suspect in the boy's murder. Then Joseph Meehan, a motorman on the Bro Brooklyn trolley, saw a picture of fish in the newspaper and identified him as the old man whom he saw February 11, 1927, trying to quiet a little boy sitting with him on the trolley. 
The little boy was not wearing a jacket, was crying for his mother, and was dragged by the man off and on the trolley. Beaton's description of the boogeyman matched Fish. Police matched the description of, their, of the child to Gaffney. Detectives of the Manhattan Missing Persons Bureau were able to establish that Fish was employed as a house painter by a Brooklyn real estate company during February 1927 and that on the day of Gaffney's disappearance he was working at a location a few miles away from where the boy was abducted. Fish claimed the following in an attorney to his letter and again it's kind of graphic. No, it's graphic. It's very graphic. I brought him to the Riker Avenue dumps. There's a house that stands alone not far from where I took him. I took the G-boy there, stripped him naked, and tied his hands and feet, and gagged him with a piece of dirty rag I picked up out of the dump. Then I burned his clothes, threw his shoes in the dump. Then I walked back and took trolley to 59th Street at 2 a.m. and walked home from there. Next day, about 2 p.m., I took tools, a good, heavy cat of nine tails, homemade, short handle, cut one of my belts in half, slit this, these strips in six inches, about eight inches long, I whipped his bear behind till the blood ran from his legs. I cut off his ears, nose, slit his mouth from ear to ear, gouged out his eyes. He was dead then. I stuck the knife in his belly and held my mouth to his body and drank his blood. I picked up four old potato sacks and gathered a pile of stones. Then I cut him up. I had a grip with me. I put his nose, ears, and a few slices of his belly in the grip. Then I cut him through the middle of his body just below his belly button. Then through his legs about two inches below his behind. I put this in my grip with a lot of pepper. I cut off the head, feet, arms, hands, and the legs below the knee. I put this in sacks weighed with stones, tied the cords, and threw them into the pools of slimy water you will see all along the road going to North Beach. Water is three to four foot deep. They sank at once. I came home with my meat. I had the front of his body I like best. I'm really not going to read the rest of this. If you want to read the rest of this, please do. Because he just tells what parts of him and how he cuts up the body and eats it. And it's awful. Um, apparently, uh, little Billy's mom, Elizabeth, visited Fish while he was in Sing Sing, waiting, I guess, for his trial, or maybe it was after he was convicted. He was a, she was accompanied by Detective King and two other men. She wanted to ask him about her son's death, but Fish refused to speak to her. Fish began to weep and asked to be left alone. After two hours of asking him questions through his lawyer, she gave up. She was still unconvinced that Fish was her son's killer. I don't know that they let her read the confession of what he wrote, but I mean, obviously, some part of it had to come to her. Otherwise, how would she know? you know, to go see. Okay. So his trial for the murder of Grace Budd began on March the 11th, 1935 in New York. It lasted for 10 days. He pled insanity and claimed to have heard voices from God telling him to kill children. Several psychiatrists testified about Fish's sexual fetishes. Lord have mercy. Um, and Dempsey, that was Fish's lawyer, noted in his summation that uh, Fish was a psychi psychiatric phenomenon and that nowhere in legal or medical records was there another individual who possessed so many sexual abnormalities. I don't know that that is true. I know he was um, questioned by the detective and asked why he had 
killed Grace, and he said, um, sorry, there's going to be a break here because I have to find it. Are you laughing at me or that? Anyway, um, basically he said that, that he didn't understand why he did it and that he regretted it within a half hour of its happening. That's ad lib, that's not a direct quote. But also, no, that's a big fat lie. Because if that's true and he regretted it, he would never wrote that letter to her mother. Because all that letter was for was to inflict pain. Yeah. It wasn't for any, or maybe. I guess he could have tried to, to write it in a way to absolve himself. But he's just inflicted more pain that way. So it doesn't, it does not make sense to me. So, um, Dr. Frederick Wortman wrote a book called The Show of Violence, and he described his first meeting with Albert Fish in the jail cell. He was shocked at how meek, gentle, benevolent, and polite Fish was. If you wanted someone to entrust your children to, he would be the one you would choose. Okay. Uh, Fish's attitude toward his situation was one of complete detachment. I have no particular desire to live. I have no particular desire to be killed. It is a matter of indifference to me. I do not think I am altogether right. Well, that's an understatement of the year. Um, when Dr. Wertmer asked him if he meant that he was insane, Fish answered, not exactly. I never could understand myself. So, um, I do have a note that said somewhere Oh, they asked him again why he killed Grace. He said, you know, I never could account for it. Which, I, you know, they're being very quiet again, which disturbs me. But also, this is very grim. But I don't understand how he can say he could never really account for it when he obviously put a lot of thought and planning into what he did. Um, Dr. Wortmer, during his um, um, interview with him, asked him about his sadomasochism directed against children, particularly boys, and Fish told him, I always had a desire to inflict pain on others and to have others inflict pain on me. I always seemed to enjoy everything that hurt. And I'm going to disagree with him again, because if this was true, he wouldn't have been afraid of Edward. Right? If he went after Edward, Edward would have been able to inflict a lot of pain on him. Yeah, but then he would have came to an end and wouldn't be able to go on doing the life he was... Yeah, but he also said he didn't care. He didn't care if he lived or died. So he's just a big old lion sack of old. <laughs> anyway, it goes on. Uh, about his trial and apparently you know all the doctors who talked to him and one psychiatrist was noted as saying there was no known perversion that he would not practice and practice frequently um, Fish was executed on January the 16th 1936 at Sing Sing Prison at 11.06pm via the electric chair um, when the guards came to his cell to get him he told them it will be the supreme thrill the only one I haven't tried um, it was said that he helped him put the electrodes 
on his body and place him. And his reported last words were, I don't even know why I'm here. Yeah. So apparently during the questioning of him and prior to his execution, they asked him about some other murders because I mentioned the Brooklyn Vampire and I looked it up because I was like, you know, where does that come from? The Brooklyn Vampire had three teenage victims, all female, which just didn't sound right to me. I mean, I'm not a detective and I wasn't there. But they were all raped and murdered and left basically in the grass. And But Albert Fish never admitted to those murders. He did say that he had had a child in every state of the United States. And, you know, detectives were like, we don't know if that's true or not. We don't know where he traveled, when he traveled, because by the time he was caught, he was 66 years old, 68 years old. Mm -hmm. So, and they don't know whether he meant he had raped a child or had cannibalized a child in every state. So, yeah. This was a fun time. Not. <laughs> Moral of the story, don't trust benevolent, kindly-looking old men with your children. Ever. And that's all. That's crazy. And I'm going to be just, glad. I know, Silas, that's just a lot to take in. I know. And I, and I mean, I've heard I, some of it before. But. I debated on reading parts of the letter, but I don't think you would have got an idea, really, of who he was unless you heard it in his own words. Yeah. Because, and this is online. If this is something that you want to look up, what he says about Billy Gaffney, who was four years old, people. He was a four-year-old little boy. Yeah. And that's stuff that he also says in his own words. And I'm going to tell you that this was a very dark week for me. It was really hard because I am opposed, violently opposed, if I see it, to anybody who hurts children or animals. I don't particularly like people seeing hurt other people either, but I am violently opposed to people who hurt children and animals because they're the most innocent among us. I didn't mean to interrupt you. What no, were you going to say? I mean, tell that to the killer kids. I mean, true. So I wonder what, what would happen if Albert Fish met up with Amar Deep Sada. Right. But I don't know. They might have got along. They both killed babies. <laughs> That's fair. Pomeroy was around the same time as he was what? Pomeroy was five in the 1870s. Well, he was Fish. Just a few years younger. Fish was born in, in 1870, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Just a few years younger. Makes you wonder what kind of what people were thinking about in that time. Also, oh, I forgot to note this. Please note that while um, Mr. Fish was in Sing Sing prison awaiting his execution, that none of his children came to visit him, and he could not understand why. Dumb asshole man. <laughs> Probably were like, oh shit, I'm changing my last name. I am disappearing. I don't know him. Yeah. Anyway, okay, and now it's Kyrie's turn, and I'm going to tell you, it don't get any lighter. Well, I mean, it doesn't really get any darker either. I'm just saying, if you're looking for light at the end of the tunnel, this is not it. This is, Kylie's story is not it. 
We said we were going darker, and Kylie did it. Okay. We all did it, man. You had a whole family. So, <laughs> but I didn't go into graphic detail as to. Did it have graphic detail? I mean, I couldn't find any that went like into graphic detail. Okay. Robin didn't go into any graphic detail. Please do not mind those arms and legs hanging on the side of the cave that were cut off the bodies. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. So, I picked Jeffrey Dahmer, which I didn't like that all the articles I found never once stated anything about the cannibalism except for one instance where, like, oh, this is the point where he started consuming people. But never did he go into detail in the confession that I found of, yeah, I ate them. There's just one instance where he says, this is when I started consuming. <coughs> and that makes me sad that the fact that you've got neighbors going, well, you know, I ate a sandwich from him and now I'm wondering if it was, like, human. And I'm just like... Oh, also, public safety note, do not take um, <gasps> any kind of food from your neighbors unless you know them very well and or saw them cook it. And even if you saw him cook it, it's questionable. <laughs> That's fair. I'm sorry, what kind of meat are you putting in the pot? What is that again? <laughs> right? This meatloaf doesn't taste right. <laughs> this meatloaf tastes like meatloaf. <laughs> okay, we had to throw the light note in there. And also a plug for Rocky Horror Picture Show, baby. So... Yeah, me too. Jeffrey Dahmer was born May 21st, 1960 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, he's the first of two sons of Joyce and Lionel Dahmer. Um, so, people that knew his family when he was younger claimed that Dahmer was deprived of attention because... Um, of his parents' jobs. I did not write it down. But other sources claim that he was doted up as an infant and toddler by both parents. And like, he was energetic and happy and all of that until he was about four years old when he had a double hernia surgery. And that said that that's when his demeanor and everything started to change. Really? Yeah. That's kind of interesting. Um, his teachers in elementary school said he was quiet and timid. Um, and one teacher says that um, she sensed that he felt neglected because of his mother's illness. So on top of what they did, his mother got sick. Doesn't go into detail about that. Um, nice. I love question marks. His dad recalls that from an early age, Dahmer was interested in dead animals. Um, he started collecting insects like dragonflies and butterflies. Um, when he was about five and when he was about six, he started collecting dead animal carcasses from roadkill and he would dismember these animals at home or in a wooded area. And when I say at home, it's like in the basement of a garage. Um, and a friend of his recalled that he would store the parts in jars in the family's tool shed. So, on his roadkill adventures and dismemberment of the dead animals and stuff that he would find, he frequently had one or two friends with him. And neither one of these friends would go home and be like, hey, my friend Dahmer picked up a raccoon and this is what he did. Well, the friends probably participated. I mean, yeah, probably. But so they, they recalled they it later in life as adults when, you know, he got caught and stuff. They were like, hmm. We probably should have really? said something back then. Really? Or were they like, wow, that dumbass got caught? <laughs> I mean, that's fair, too. Um, 
Um, and one of the friends was like, well, I remember when he decapitated 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 a carcass of a dog before he nailed the body to a tree and impaled the skull on a stake beside a wooden cross in the woods near his house okay now that's the kind of thing that you would go home and tell like um but yeah you know maybe you wouldn't tell your parents i don't know because there's you know that whole don't be a tattletale <gasps> thing but also i'm pretty sure i would be going home going yeah i don't want to hang out with him anymore right um so after his double hernia surgery, when he was four, his dad recalls a time that he was cleaning out dead animal bones from under the house, and that Dahmer was oddly thrilled by the sounds that the bones made, and that was the first set of bones that he collected, was that. Um, so, and then after that, he started going under the house and started looking for bones himself. So that's just like wow. the first instance of him starting to collect them. Now we're going to start getting into... But, but Dad wasn't like, really, son? Really? You want to collect these? They're old and stinky and they've been under the house. Um, well... Here's why. Okay. Um, so in October of 1966, the family moved to Doylestown, Ohio. And then in 68, they moved to the Bath Township. Um, so, at about 1970, Dahmer was asking his father what would happen if he put bones in bleach or, you know, how would you start to preserve bones and stuff. And his dad was pleased that he was curious about stuff and demonstrated how to safely bleach and preserve animal bones. Um, and so then Dahmer started incorporating these techniques that he was taught into his bone collection. That way he could preserve the animal bones he found. Okay, I get that. What did his dad do? Show them how to preserve them. What was his day job? I don't remember. I was I'm wondering sure if he, he was, was a taxidermist or something. He, I, I think it was, um, hold on, I'll tell you. Let's see. So, no, it didn't look right. Oh, his mom was a teletype machine instructor, instructor and his dad was a chemistry student. Okay. A chemistry student? Yes. Okay, now that part makes sense then. Because that's, that's chemistry. Um, so now we're into his freshman year of high school. Um, he was viewed as an outcast. Um, at the age of 14, he began to start heavily drinking um, on school property. Um, he told his classmates it was just, you know, medicine, because I guess he had little bottles or whatever. Um, and he was seen by the school staff as being polite and highly intelligent, but he had average grades, but there was the potential there. Um, so, it's said that when staff approached him about his drinking on school property, like on in the parking lot, mm -hmm that he told them to go talk to his guidance counselor because his guidance counselor knew everything that was happening and everything he was going through and it was just self-medicating and you know they kind of just left it at that they're like okay oh it's so not in the classroom you can you're say, fine you can say no go talk to my counselor they know and they'll go oh okay yeah. well if your counselor knows and not even go talk to your counselor so um when he hit puberty so i guess about 14 15 he discovered that he was gay and he kept that from his parents 
Um, he even recalls that he had a relationship with a teenage boy um, when they were 16. And then after that ended, he started to conceive fantasies of um, knocking people unconscious. Um, one in particular was a male jogger that he found very, very attractive. Um, so his first attempt to attack this man was he hid in the bushes with the baseball bat waiting for the jogger to pass and he didn't go by that day and he just moved on from there and was just like and eh, that was too much work and I didn't get the outcome that I wanted because he didn't come today and I'm not gonna sit here every day waiting okay so I'm trying to figure out how the old boy took a breakup and went I really want to start clubbing people on the hen especially ones that I really like because he wanted to he didn't like willing sexual participants Okay, well that's news that I didn't know. But we're, we'll get into that. He doesn't okay. really come out about that until later. Okay. But that was the thought process he was having, was having sexual intercourse with somebody who's not into it. willingly participating. It. So now we're going into 1978, which is when he committed his first murder. So this is adulthood. He's about 19-ish. Yep. 19-ish. Right? Yes, no. Maybe. When was your boy? 60. 18. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, it was three weeks after his high school graduation. Um, he was living alone in the family house because at this point his parents have divorced. His mom took his younger brother back to Milwaukee and his dad was living in a hotel. Wait, um, what? Why was his dad living in a hotel instead of in the house? Because he didn't, he didn't know that his mom had left. He was like, you and the kids stay here. And she was like, I'm out. And Dom was 18, so he was like, fuck it, I'm going to stay. Oh, okay. Like, she didn't just be like, no, you stay here. No. That was the choice he made. Okay. So, on June 18th, Dahmer picked up a hitchhiker named Stephen Mark Hicks, who was 19 at the time. Um, and he told the dude, um, hey, why don't we just go to my house and drink for a little bit, you can rest up, and then you can be on your merry little way and go the way you were heading, whatever. And Hicks was like, yeah, all right. Again, people, never accept the kindness so of strangers. After a few hours, Hicks was like, I'm, I'm good now, I'm ready to get back to going, and Dahmer was like, mm, no. So he hit him with a 10-pound weight two times from behind as Hicks sat in the chair because Hicks was like, okay. So, he fell unconscious, and Dahmer strangled him to death with the bar of the dumbbell. I like how he fell, he fell unconscious. No, he was beat unconscious. Well, yeah. Um, so, Dahmer stripped him of his clothing and then masturbated over the corpse. Um, the next day, he dissected Hicks's body in the basement and buried the remains in a shallow grave in the backyard. Several, several weeks later, he unearthed the remains... And, you know, remove the flesh from the bones and dissolve the flesh in acid and all of that. Bleeds the bones like he'd been taught. And then he, no, he crushed the bones. He wrapped them up in, like, a blanket and just crushed them into powder. And then scattered them in a woodland area behind the family home. I thought he was going to pick his bread. I'm sorry, people. I got to light it up every now and then. So six weeks later... Six weeks later, after the murder of Hicks, Dahmer's father and his fiance returned to the home. So, I'm assuming they got divorced because his dad was a cheating asshole. Okay. Wait to assume. I mean, he's already got a fiance and it's only been eight weeks since 
The divorce is finalized at this point. Some people just move fast, Kylie. I don't wait a minute. Yeah. Anyways, so his dad and his, his dad's fiance returned to the home and they were like, oh, you're living here alone. We're moving in. And his dad began, you know, like, you should do something with your life. So in August, Dahmer enrolled into OSU. Um, and he was hoping to major in business, but he lasted three months before he dropped out. So January 1979, after his dad bugging and bugging and bugging, he enlisted into the army. Um, he was trained as a medical specialist. So that would be right up his alley. That would be yeah. much more than business. Um, so his first year of service was, he was described as an average and slightly above average soldier um, so there are two soldiers that attest to having been raped by Dahmer um, one states that Dahmer repeatedly raped him over 17 months and the other said that he was drugged and raped and then left alone um, and he had a drinking problem that started you know when he was 14 and they discharged him March 1981 for drinking because he was too far gone to do anything. Was it a dishonorable discharge? Obviously. Mm -hmm. So she's making sure. Did they? Did the those soldiers ever report it to like the brass? At no, all? they just came forward within like the whole hearing in ninety one. So, and I found something really interesting about this too because um, later on, as we go into the killings and stuff, um, some of the first people that he raped are related to some of the last people that he killed. Well, I think it's one and one, but that was interesting to find. Um, so oh, he returned... Especially interesting if he knew that. He returned to Ohio, um, moved back in with his dad and his stepmom at this time. Um, he insisted on having chores to occupy his time while he was looking for work. Um, but he got worse with his drinking and his stepmother sent him to live with his grandmother in West... Alias Wisconsin, in Wisconsin, Wisconsin. Yes, that's where his the, his family's from. So, his living arrangements with his grandma were harmonious. Um, she was like, and all of her neighbors and her friends stuff were like he accompanied her to church. He willingly took over the chores. He was actively seeking work. He abided by most of the rules. Um, in eighty two, he found employment as a phlebotomist. And um, he had the job for 10 months before it, he was laid off. And then he remained on unemployment while well, he was unemployed for over two years. Not on unemployment, but oh, unemployed for two years. So after losing his job, he was arrested for indecent exposure. Um, this was like a handful of days after that. Um, he had exposed himself to a crowd of 25 women and children. He was fined $50 and then had to pay court costs and that was it. Wow. Late 1985, Dahmer had begun to regularly visit bathhouses for sexual encounters. Um, he started See, what is with the bathhouses? What year was this? Well, the, the way that I take it over is it's a safe place for the gays. Oh. To hook up and stuff. Nobody outside really knows what's going on. In I just wanted to. Albert went to. 
bathhouses. Uh, but from the research I found in bathhouses, it was just something that gay guys did so that they weren't seen out in public with each other. Okay. Um, so he, um, you know, started seeing people, but he was starting to get frustrated with um, his partners being active during the sexual acts. And he was like, I don't like it. Um, and they were like, well, I want to da-da-da. And he's like, I just want you to sit there. He said, it doesn't matter what you want. So, in June 1986, he started giving his, this like, his recollection, this is when he started giving his partners sleeping pills or, you know, liquor laced with sleeping pills. And then he would rape their unconscious <gasps> bodies. There were 12 incidents reported at the bathhouse before they revoked his membership to the bathhouse. Twelve? Twelve. Wow. So then he started using a hotel room. Should we... <coughs> hey, should we kick Dahmer out of the bathhouse? Nah, it's only been six times. Nah, it's only been eight times. Let's wait till he hits an even dozen. But the way... I mean, they were still willing... For, like, I think the way that it went is that they didn't do it is because they were still willing... They were willing participants, but they weren't willing to be drugged, obviously. But and you're they not were willing like, participants well, if you're unconscious. And they were like, "Well, that's what they came here for." Not when you're unconscious. I know, but you know, who knows what people are thinking at the time? Um, but he's got a quote when he was talking about this, where he stated that he um, about this time is when he. Um, started thinking differently and started training himself to view people as objects of pleasure instead of people. So that that's fun. Not so much. So August of the same year, he was arrested again, this time for masturbating in front of two 12-year-old boys. Um, March 10th of 87, he got sentenced to one-year probation and counseling. Wow. Yeah, and that was that was it for that. Um, so, I don't understand how that works. <laughs> so now, um, November 20th, 1987, Dahmer encountered a 25-year-old man named Stephen um, at a bar, and he persuaded this man to return to the Ambassador Hotel in Milwaukee with him. Um, Dahmer says he only meant to drug the man into sleeping for his sexual pleasures, and never intended to murder the man. But Dahmer woke up. I guess he had fallen asleep after the whole thing. So he woke up to find that the male beneath him had he had crushed his chest and he was covered in bruises and he had blood sleeping out of his mouth. So um, he was like, I don't remember killing him. It wasn't my intention to kill him. I really just wanted to have sex with him because he was a beautiful person. And I was just, that was it. So he's lying, obviously. So he purchased a large suitcase and went back to the hotel, shoved the body in it, and took the body to his grandmother's house. Um, hey, Grandma, look what I brought home. Can I keep it? <laughs> a week later, he um, severed the head, arms, and legs from the torso, filleted the bone from the body, hey, Grandma's house. and began cutting the flesh into small pieces, easy for, easy for him to handle. He smashed the bones, you know, and he placed the flesh in garbage bags and placed it all everything but the head in the garbage. Um, he kept the head for two weeks before he boiled it in an alkaline-based industrial detergent and bleach mixture um, to retain the skull. Um, and he was successful in this and used it for masturbation, but over the course of the use, um, it got brittle, so he had to smash it and dispose of it. 
Yeah, I'm not doubting it got brittle. But also, ain't Grandma's house? And grandma's Where was Grandma? Where's Grandma while he's boiling ahead? Church? What? <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. Let's say that's true. How long does Grandma go to church? Because how long does it take to boil? Maybe she's in a knitting circle. Maybe she's playing bridge. Maybe, maybe she's, she's next old and asleep in a room. Maybe she's maybe next door getting it on with afraid old, of old man Willis. Jeffrey and was like, I'm just going to be gone all the time. Peace out. Um, she had to throw sleep in with somebody in there. So, it was after this that he began to actively seek his victims out and Laurel lure them to Grandma's home, where he drugged, raped, and then strangled them to death. I cannot I'm sorry. All of the things he did was heinous. I'm not going to lie and say they weren't, but he, Grandma's house? That makes it more He doesn't heinous. account for anything that happens for two months, because we jump straight from that into the next one that, like, I guess stuck with him. Um, so two months after Stephen's murder, he encountered a 14-year-old native boy. He got him to come home and was like, I'll give you $50 if you let me take pictures of you naked. And the kid was like, mm, yeah, okay. Um, once they got there, the boy agreed to sexual activity, but Dahmer was like, mm, I'm going to kill you. So he drugged him and then strangled him. He should have agreed. <laughs> and then, you know, he followed the same steps that he did with Stephen. March 24th. Just boiling heads all up in Grandma's house. So, March 24th, 1988, he met 22-year-old Richard Guerrero, Richard Guerrero outside of a gay bar. He took the man home with $50 to spend the night with him, and that was it. Come home with me, spend the night, $50 is yours. Once home, he drugged the man, strangled him, performed oral sex upon the corpse, um, which is the, like, there's a big gap between that and doing it again. Anyways, he dismembered the body within 24 hours. He didn't leave this one laying around. He was like, we gonna do this quick. Um, did the same process with the other two. So April 23rd, he got another young male to come home with him. He um, drugged his coffee and um, was, you know, they were just hanging out. And then Grandma came home and was like, Jeffrey, is that you I hear back there? Well, oh, now now Grandma's home. All the boil all over the place, but now so, Grandma comes home. Knowing that he couldn't get away with it this time, um, he told Grandma that his friend had drank too much and he was going to go take him to the hospital, and that's what he did. Oh, he literally took him to the hospital? Mm-hmm. Wow. He just walked him in and set him down and walked away. Well, I wasn't saying, like, but he could have taken him out of Grandma's house and killed him anyway. It scared him enough. That he stopped for a minute and he was like, I need to ease up because like, Grandma ain't as old as I thought she was. <laughs> I better rethink this. So, September 1988, um, or maybe not. <laughs> I'm just saying this because it doesn't go into detail about him doing any more murders or anything. It just said that Grandma asked him to move out because he had a bad habit of bringing men home and she started smelling smells from the basement area. <laughs> We know that he confessed to 17. We do not know actual counts. We just know the 17 that he... All I'm saying is how grandma coming home and not smelling heads that have been boiled in the house. That's going to leave a smell. But she started smelling something. So he, did, he found a one-bedroom apartment and moved out um, September 25th. Um, 
And then the following day, he was arrested for fondling a 13-year-old male that he had um, convinced to come home with him with the intent of taking nudes. Oh, my God. Now, that was September 25th of 88, right? 89, January of 89, he was convicted of second-degree sexual assault, but the sentencing was suspended until May. Okay? Why? Doesn't I mean, does it mention why it was suspended? Never mind. Justice system. Gotcha. Go. No. But it does say that um, in March of 89, he did end up moving back to his grandma's house. Poor grandma. <laughs> so, in July, Dahmer murdered his fifth victim. That he, that he, this is the fifth victim that we know about. We right. don't know actual counts. Right. Yeah, we know that. the 17 that he confessed to. Right. We know the ones that he owned up to. So this is considered his fifth victim. It was a 24-year-old aspiring model, Anthony Sears. They met at a gay bar, and Dahmer convinced him to come home. Like, let's do some oral. And so he got him home, he did the oral sex, and then he dragged the male and strangled him to death. The next morning, he put the corpse in the bathtub and decapitated him. Um, he stripped the flesh from the bones, pulverized the bones, disposed of it all in the trash. Um, he found Sears, listen, he found Sears very attractive. So this was the first victim that he kept any of the parts of the body from. He preserved the head and the genitalia in acetone and stored them in his, well, in a jar. He kept them in jars in his work locker. Um, and he kept them in his work locker for a whole year. Wow. Um, so, May 23rd of 89, he carried out his sentence. It was five years um, probation and um, one year in the House of Correction um, with a work release permit. Um, and he was required to register as a sex offender. Two months before his release date, he was let out of the House of Correction because, whatever, you're... Good behavior. Good behavior, all of that stuff. So, he was let go and moved back to Grandma's. Temporarily. He, um... Was there for four more months, and then he ended up moving to, um, 924 North 25th Street, apartment 213. So, on May 14th of 1990, um, he took Sears' preserved body body, his head and his manhood home. Um, and the following week after moving in, sixth victim came in, Raymond Smith. He was a 32-year-old male prostitute. Um, Dahmer was like, come home with me, $50 sex. He gave Smith a drink, laced with sleeping pills, strangled him to death. What a shocker. Um, People are cheap. So the next day he got up and he was like, mm, I'm going to go buy a Polaroid camera so I can take pictures of their nude bodies in these sexual positions so that I can later. Um, so he boiled the limbs and pelvis in a still kettle and it was, well, he boiled it in a still kettle with um, Solix and rinsed the bones in the sink. Um, he dissolved the skeleton minus the skull in acid and spray-painted this dude's skull and placed it next to his items of Sears in a metal filing cabinet. 
So, um, it was recalling this instance, there is a quote where he, um, says, um, that he would cook the meat, look to Polaroids, and masturbate remembering them. Oh. Um, and that's what I said. It doesn't say specifics on anything, but anyways, so May 27th, he got another mail to come home with him. He drew, but here's, here's the, here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. He woke up from a drugged state to find $300 gone, a lot of his clothing gone, and his watch missing. He huh. did not contact the police. Well, I'd say he got off easy considering what he's doing to people while they're unconscious. So, June... At least he woke up. Then Now we're in June. He got 27-year-old Edward Smith, which is no relation to the other Smith dude. Um, he drugged and strangled him placed the skeleton in the freezer for several months. Um, he was hoping that it would dry it out. It did not dry it out. And so he was like, well, I'm going to dry it out in the oven. But, well, he was only trying to keep the skull at this point because the skeleton did not keep in the freezer like he wanted to. So he was like, I need to save the skull. So I'm going to put it in the oven so it can dry out a little bit. And it blew up. Went. Okay. So he felt really, he, he states that he felt really rotten about this murder because he did not get to retain the skull and he thought that Edward was beautiful and he wanted to keep that part of him. Less than three months later, he got 22-year-old Ernest Miller to come home for $50 for nudes and sex. Um, $50 so, again? Let's see the, the golden amount. So Dahmer went to perform oral on the man and Miller was like, mm, that's going to cost you a little bit extra. And he was like, you know what, fuck you. So he laced the drink with two pills. It was all he had left. Um, and it did not work. So he slashed Miller's um, car car artery with the knife he used to dissect his victims with. Um, Miller obviously bled to death. He posed the body for nude pictures, dismembered it in the bathtub. Um, he recalls kissing and talking to the head while he was, you know, dismembering everything and going through the whole process and stuff. Um, he, um, he placed the heart and the biceps and portions of flesh in bags and stuck them in the fridge for consumption later. And then again, he recalls, you know, I remember cooking him and looking at his pictures and I had a skull right here and masturbated and that was great. Um, he boiled the remaining flesh and organs to a jelly-like substance and rinse the skeleton. So, three weeks later, on September 24th, 22-year-old David Thomas came home for drinks and money for nudes. Um, Dahmer admitted he wasn't really attracted to this dude, so after he laced the drinks, he just killed the dude in the same process and then stopped killing for five months. Well, that one must have upset him because he didn't like him. Must have messed up his so, workflow. we jump from September to 1991. Um, so on February, in February of 91, he got 17-year-old, um, Curtis Strotter to come home with him, offering money for nudes and sexual intercourse. He drugged and strangled him, dismembered, kept the skull, hands, and genitals, photographed each stage, stage of the dismemberment. Less than two months, two months later, on April 7th, he got 19-year-old Earl Lindsay home. He drugged him 
and drilled a hole into Lindsay's skull and poured hydroclonic acid into it. Lindsay woke up saying, I have a headache. What time is it? Um, Dahmer wasn't pleased with this, drugged him again, and then strangled him. Oh, my God. He kept the skull, did the same thing, meat off the bones. He kept the skin in a solution of cold water and salt for several weeks, though. Um, it became too frayed and brittle, so he just disposed of it. Um, it was about this time that residents started complaining about smells coming from his apartment in addition to sounds of falling objects and the occasional sound of a chainsaw. Um, the landlord had contacted him several times. Um, he explained the foul, foul, foul smells were from spoiled food in his broken freezer and fridge. And um, later again when it happened, he was like, oh, well, some of my fish died and I didn't get to take the trash out yet. And mm. That was that. So, May 26th of 91, 14-year-old um, Connerick, I can't even, I'm not even going to attempt his last name. I assume this is, <gasps> his brother was the first Native American boy, because this little boy is also Native American. So, he um, is the younger brother to somebody he molested in 88. Um, so, he got the boy to come home with promise of new picks and money. Um, the boy was reluctant, but went anyways. He took picks before he drugged him, and then he performed oral on his unconscious body. Um, but he also drilled holes in this boy's skull and injected him with hydrochloric acid, but he took it into the frontal lobe this time, so the first instance it was like more towards like back towards here. Back, yeah. So, the boy went unconscious, um, but before then, Dahmer took the boy to the bedroom where the body, we don't even get told about this dude. We just know that sometime between April and May, Tony Hughes, a 31-year-old male, was killed. And so his body's in the bedroom. Um, Dahmer drank and laid beside the boy, who was oblivious to the dead body at the time. Um, and then, you know, he was like, I'm out of alcohol. I'm going to run to the bar and, you know, have some. I'm going to stop at the liquor store and then I'm going to come home. So the next day, it was about um, 1 o'clock in the morning, he returned to his apartment to discover the boy was sitting outside naked on the corner with three women um, around him. Dahmer approached claiming that um, the boy was his friend, um, and they were like, well, listen, he's not in a good way. We called 911. So he was like, that's fine. Um, so two cops arrived on scene. Dahmer's demeanor changed to relaxed. He was in it to win it. He explained the boy was 19, um, they were boyfriends, and they had a drunken fight and that he often acted like that when they got intoxicated, so he went out for whatever and came home, and the officers told the women to butt the fuck out. Are you kidding me? To butt the fuck out, and escorted the boy to Dahmer's apartment because this was domestic violence and nothing more. Okay, but why wasn't the boy talking? He's got a hole in his head. And he wasn't okay. making sense. Uh, he was intoxicated. Okay, but if you... I don't understand those cops, because if that's domestic violence and somebody is not in their right mind, you do not leave them at the scene. That's not how that works. Well, it, it apparently was. So they escorted the boy back to Dahmer's apartment, and he showed them the nude pics on the Polaroid. They posed with some together to prove that they were together, and the officers were like, yeah, okay. Um, then they noticed that there was... A strange smell in the apartment um, one officer peeked in the bedroom like opened the door looked around and walked back out Dahmer was like there he didn't even look at the dead guy didn't even notice the dead guy uh, but explained that he had tropical fish that died a couple days ago that were still in the garbage because why take it out if the garbage isn't full 
Um, right, so they left saying, take care of him and you guys stop getting drunk together um, if it's going to end this way. Wait. Still, though, in all of that, the boy never said anything. I don't think he could. I'm just saying, I don't understand why cops would not find that suspicious. Because generally in a domestic situation, you separate. Okay. And you talk to one and you talk to the other one. So they were remiss in their duties. And they're coming off as drunk, though. It's not like you can get much sense out of them. I'm not fighting for Dahmer. I'm just saying. I don't care how drunk you are. Um, if somebody can't so, talk to me and assure me that they're okay. I'm assuming that he killed the boy right after because on the 28th he took the day off work to dismember both bodies. He did keep both both skulls. Well, now he's got memories for that one. Um, so June 30th, Dahmer went to Chicago and met 20-year-old Matt Turner and offered him to go back to Milwaukee to do a professional photo shoot. Once at his apartment, he drugged and strangled, dismembered, placed head and organs in separate bags, put them in the freezer for later consumption. And that's all I keep saying, later consumption. I kind of wish that he would have gone into a little bit more detail about eating people just because, just because there are neighbors that step forward like, yeah, I had a pie, yeah, this, that, and the other. And it's like, was he feeding them people? They're assuming that he was and going with it, but there's no actual proof that he did it. You know, there's no actual proof where it's like, yeah, I made three doors down a pie, a meat pie. Well, with his upbringing, I can't see him confessing to a lot of the, like, getting really graphic with it. Because that's private to him. That's, he, you don't think so? He, he got, he got, um, I didn't write down all the graphic things out, but he got into detail of how he enjoyed the sounds that everything made when it was going and that it just... It got him going and made him want to go, and he would masturbate during the whole process. Well, I didn't mean he was shy about telling certain things. But, I mean, I just wish he would have been like, yeah, I ate the people. But he doesn't really, he's just like, for later consumption. Okay. You know what consumption is, right? I want to know if he fed 14-year-old Watts' face to three doors down. Then you should assume yes. But what if it was 20... 20 year old wants his face. Well, what if it was none of them? What if that was for him and him alone and he didn't share that? I mean, all the neighbor said was that she assumed it was a chicken Popeye because it had the same stuff. Well, if it tastes like chicken. So, five days later, 23 year old Jeremiah from Chicago, he met outside of a um, gay bar in Chicago. Convinced him to come back to Milwaukee with the promise of spending the weekend. He drugged him. And then he drilled a hole in his head and injected boil, boiling water in there. Um, and that caused the male to go into a coma. He died two days later. July 15th, 24-year-old Oliver Lacey um, fell for the gig. The nude pick gig like every fucking one else. Stupid ass boys. Um, Dahmer used chloroform this time. Then he strangled him and had sex with him. And then he dismembered Lacey's body. He placed the head and the heart into the fridge. The skeleton in the freezer. Um, and he called in <gasps> sick. And four days after he called in sick, he was fired. Well, yeah, if you don't show up, you get fired. 
Upon receiving the news of being fired, 25-year-old Joseph came to the apartment. He strangled him, left him on the bed for two days. Um, on July 21st... Ugh. On July 21st, Joseph's head was covered in maggots. He decapitated it, cleaned the head, saved the skull, acidified his bones, um, and... He asked his torso along with the two other victims from the previous month all together at once. Maggots on the head. He's Ooh. saving them up. Maggots. July 22nd of 91, Dahmer approached three men with a $100 nude shoot offer, drink beer, and oh, keep company. It. But it was two. Three. Oh. Um, he didn't know that then. He cheaped them out. One dude was dumb enough to agree. 32-year-old Tracy Edwards noted a foul odor upon entering the apartment and boxes of hydrochloric acid on the floor. Dahmer um, came up with some stupid excuse, I don't remember. And then he tried to handcuff Edwards, and he got one successfully, one unsuccessfully, but he overpowered the dude and ended up handcuffing him and led Edwards to the bedroom. Um, and Edwards had a huge what-the-fuck moment when the handcuffs came out, and, but he's, he was like, oh, well, he's just fucking kinky, I can do this. Um... So he noticed the nude posters. Um, he, there, Exorcist Three was playing on the TV, and he noticed a blue drum that smelled horrible in the corner of the room. Um, Edward started to unbutton his shirt, saying he'd do whatever Dahmer wanted. Okay, so upon coming in the bedroom, Dahmer got his knife. Okay. And Edwards unbuttoned his shirt and was like, "I'll do whatever. Just you know, put the knife away and take off the cuffs. We can have a good time without the kink." And Dahmer placed his head on him next to his heart with his knife so you know he's like like this I can hear the heartbeat my knife is right here and um stated that he cannot wait to cut out his heart and that he intended to eat it um which also I wrote down you know takes new meaning to eat your heart out <laughs> um Edwards attempted to prevent the attack um by telling him oh, he wouldn't run away heart. just uncuff me we can have fun without this um and it failed cause Dahmer was like nah well, Edwards did convince... I, I can't keep you on purpose. Edwards, I meant to do that. Edwards was like, well, let's just go back to the living room. I don't like the bedroom. It's just, eh, can we just go back to the living room? And Dahmer was like, yeah, that's fine. Um, so they go back to the living room, and he's like, well, I have to pee. 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 Can you shake off the cuffs so I can go pee? So he did, because I guess he's stupid. In <laughs> Kylie's story, apparently, everybody is stupid. So, he came back and saw that the cuffs were far enough from Dahmer's reach... So he punched Dahmer in the face and ran away. Um, a couple hours later, Edward found police and told them the story of what was happening at Dahmer's apartment and took them to his apartment. And Dahmer invited the three in, saying, yeah, I sure did. I cuffed him. What's it to you? Um, they saw a large knife beneath the bed, and they weren't really looking, looking, but there was an open drawer, and he, the cop was like, he pulled him out. There was Polaroid, you know, all of the Polaroids. Um, and he took it to the living room and he was like, um, what's this? And the other dude was like, oh shit, this is for real. So he attempted to fight the officers off, but they overpowered him. And then they found a severed black male head in the fridge. Now they don't go into much detail other than this is a black man and the two Native Americans. They don't tell us who the others are. I always assumed white, but some articles state that most of his victims were black. Um, but I mean, I guess it depends on the part of Milwaukee, how it was at the time. 
but it doesn't really go into detail about that. But well, it does state that it started. It started a race, a uh, race like thing going on at the time. Like it became something of race, like a point of topic of politics oh, and really? race. Yeah. So. Um, Youngish then, but I was, this is, I remember the story. So you know, they got him cuffed and they got the precinct to come up and they're like, "Let's go through all of this." So what they found in his apartment was two entire skeletons. In his closet? <laughs> I don't know where they were. A pair of hands, two preserved penises, which we know because he he had a mummified scalp, and in the drum in the corner. It was a 57-gallon blue drum that was sitting in his bedroom corner. It had three torsos and acid solution in it. Um, there were four severed heads still intact, seven skulls, two human hearts, um, and portion of arm muscles, um, an entire frozen torso, a bag of flesh, and organs in the freezer. Um, wow, he kept a lot of stuff. I'm glad he moved out of grandma's. So... I wonder if he left stuff at Grandma's. That's creepy. Well, I would assume he left some things. So, um, on July 22nd... No. That, I just already went through all of that. So, um... There was a total of 74 Polaroid pictures detailing the dismemberment of most of his victims. And there were a bunch different poses and stuff and going through the whole process of what he did to people. So on July 23rd, Dahmer was questioned by Detective Patrick Kennedy as to, you know, the murders and the evidence that was found in the apartment. Um, so they conducted numerous interviews with him. Over 60 hours, um, Dahmer first waived his right to a lawyer um, adding, he wished to confess. Um, he created this horror and it only makes sense that I do everything to put an end to it. Um, he admitted to having murdered 16 young men in Wisconsin. So he's not even counting the ones in Ohio. Um, he only counted the Stephen Hicks in Ohio, which is what got to 17. Those are the 17 he owned up to, but there's so much that they, he doesn't own up to that I'm assuming because there was just so many I don't think he's going two months without killing somebody um just because that, 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 he, that got his that got him going um he you know got into a lot of detail with them um admitted you know there was necrophilia with a couple of the bodies like the more beautiful ones um, but more often than not, he did his acts before they were dead. You know, when they were drugged. Right. Un un unwilling participants. Um, he confessed later that he consumed the hearts of them, the livers and biceps, portions of the thighs. Um, so while he owned up to 17 killings, he's only admitting to eating, like, the last... The last 10 from 90 to 91. Well, we might not have had time to eat him at Grandma's house. I, I kind of, I, I kind of, you know, maybe he made Grandma meat pies. I doubt it. Grandma didn't trust him. She trusted him enough that he, he did a lot of the cooking there. You never said that. 
That wasn't an important piece until now. Yeah, what's up? You're talking about a cannibal took, doing he, shit in Grandma's house, and it's not important to say he's the one doing the cooking? He took over the household chores. Grandma was... Yeah, but you old. didn't say cooking. That's a chore. No, it's not. It is. It's a joy. Depending on who you're talking to. You're doing it wrong. My grandma loved it. But he did a lot of the cooking. So, um, Dahmer told him, you know, he was constructing his private altar of victim skulls, um, which he had intended to display on a table in the living room, um, which was a table he photographed all the bodies on. That's a lot of skulls for a table. And that's only seven out of 17. Oh, it was only seven. Okay. But he had two full skulls that he, um, the two most beautiful victims, he kept their whole heads in a jar to where they... Like mummified it. Yep. Gotcha. Um, Pickled it. Which was whatever. Um, Just whatever. So the first, the first part says they only found, um two heads and then they go into detail and I'm like well we went back and you know the two head is what we found but there were four self severed whole heads in the freezer oh my god which doesn't add up because all of the 17 that we went over mm -hmm. we got detail of what he did to those heads he kept most of those skulls just the skulls so there are at least two of those severed heads that we don't know where they came from why, why didn't they do the reconstruction? They can do reconstruction on a skull to get a, an idea of what the person looked like. Forensic reconstruction. So, he was asked on November 18th of 91 by an interviewer, why the altar? What was it for? And he was like, it was for myself. It was a place that I could feel like home. It was a place for my meditation of where, um, you know, it was honoring me and everything that I've done. Um, on July 25th of 91, he was charged with four counts of first-degree murder. August 27th, he had been charged with 11 murders total. On September 14th, investigators in Ohio were uncovering hundreds of bone fragments in the woodland behind the address which he had confessed to killing his first victim. Um, a lot of those came up animals. A lot of them came up human. Wow. Um, three days later, he um, was charged by the Ohio authorities with Hicks murder, which is the only actual person that he got <gasps> charged with from Ohio. Um, he was not charged with attempted murder of Edwards. He was not charged with the murder of, um, I didn't say his last name because I couldn't, so I'm going to flip back and figure out what his name was because I forgot how far back this was. I think it was his first... Yeah, Stephen, his first one that we recalled in the whole story. He didn't get charged with that murder um, because um, Dahmer has no memory of actually committing this particular murder. He just remembers waking up with him dead in the bed. Um, I don't know if I did it. I was asleep. So, in the court hearing, he was like, I plead not guilty. But by January 13th, 92, he pleaded guilty but insane to 15 of the 17 counts of murder. Um, so he was tried for 15 counts of murder. 
and he was giving what was it he had um, two court appointed mental health professionals testified um, that he was he killed those men because he wanted to kill the source of his homosexual attraction to them in killing them he killed what he hated in himself so mm. they were like crazy during the last two weeks of his trial um, you know that was pretty much closing arguments at that time um, and Dahmer's compulsive killings had been a result of the sickness um, and it was out of control basically um, I'm so on the first two accounts of murder Dahmer was sentenced to life in prison for 10 years 10 years? life in prison plus 10 years oh okay and then with the remaining 13 counts um, it was plus 70 years um, the death penalty was not an option um, because Wisconsin had abolished the capital punishment in 1853. Um, Dahmer's father and stepmother um, got a 10-minute private meeting with their son when he was transferred um, to the Columbia Correctional Institution to begin his sentence. Um, mm -hmm. They exchanged hugs and well wishes. Um, three months after his conviction... Dahmer was extradited to Ohio to be tried for the murder of his first victim, Stephen Hicks. Um, the court hearing lasted 45 minutes. He pleaded guilty to the charges and was sentenced to a 16th term of life in prison. Um, during prison, you know, it was whatever. He was in prison from, what, 92 to 94 when um, he was killed by an inmate. Mm -hmm. um, Joyce, his mom, called him weekly throughout his sentencing every Monday. Um, <coughs> on November 28th of 94, Dahmer left his cell to conduct his assigned work detail. Accompanying him were Jesse Anderson and Christopher Scarver. The trio were left unsupervised in the showers of the gym prison for 20 minutes. Um, at 8.10 a.m., Dahmer was discovered on the floor of the bathrooms um, in the gym, suffering from head and facial wounds. He had um, been hit with a 20-inch metal bar, um, and then his head got banged against the wall. Um, he was still alive at the time and rushed to a hospital. He was pronounced dead an hour later. Um, Anderson had also been beaten with the same instrument and died two days later. So, Scarver did it, I assume? I'm just wondering how you go in the shower and you hide a metal bar. Like, were people waiting in there for them? Because it would also be hard for one person. His um, mother got media access after the death saying, now is everybody happy? 
is that good enough for everyone? Um, wow. She was really upset. Um, since the murders were still considered, well, since the deaths were considered murder, murders, Scarver was sentenced to two additional terms of life in prison for the murders of Dahmer and Anderson. Okay, so he did take the fall for and so on, in 91, they had a candlelight vigil to celebrate um, and heal the community. Mm -hmm. um, more than 400 people attended. Um, it was community leaders, gay rights activists, family members of some of the victims. Um, they just wanted the community to share their feelings and pain and heal over everything that happened. Right. Um, and that's when it was said that, you know, a lot of people were saying, you know, it was a race thing. Maybe he was just attracted to chocolate men. And but also, I don't know. Also, what they they only recall three of the people's races. We don't get any details on anything else. I'm assuming that they're going by Polaroids of the people. Right. And that's how they caught because there were over 74 Polaroids taken. But. I don't know. Because I know that time period was a lot of the people that were using the bathhouses and stuff like that. They were gay white males with wives at home. And you know that so, I done a lot of research into the bathhouse stuff back then because I was like, well, what the F is this? Right. But that's all I have for Jeffrey Dahmer. That's more than enough. I mean, he does state that, you know, on trial and stuff and, you know, he should be held accountable for his actions and they're, like, he wasn't, like... He, he realized there was no remorse. There right. was no remorse for it. He really didn't give a fuck. He was just like, "I did what I did. Kill me. I'm, I'm fine with it." So he was like Albert Fish. Fish was like, "I don't care if I live or if I die." That's basically. But that's all I got for Dahmer. Yay! And wasn't that a fun episode? That was long. It was very long. Anyway, we hope you enjoyed it. At least found it interesting. Yeah. You learned some things he maybe didn't know before. I learned some things. That I, I learned some things I wish I'd never known. <laughs> so, that was quite the dark trip there from Scotland to Milwaukee. Anyway, I would wish we uh, had something we could say to lighten it up, but I got nothing. Robin has nothing. No. To lighten up the mood? Yeah. Don't eat your neighbors. That doesn't lighten up the mood, Kylie. Most people don't go around eating their neighbors. Don't feed people to your neighbors. Don't don't listen, eat don't the food your neighbors bring. with your neighbors. <laughs> Just don't associate with them. Like a good neighbor. Unless you stay know. over there. <laughs> and we'll end on that. Have a good week. We'll be back next week with something something all new and <laughs> maybe not as dark. Maybe darker. You're welcome.